0: Welcome to the Moisture Festival podcast. I am Matt Baker. I perform a comedy and
1: stunt show. And I'm Louie Fox. I do uh, magic tricks, comedy, and hand shadow puppets.
0: <laughs> and we both have performed at the Moisture Festival for a number of years. So, welcome to the podcast where we give you a peek behind the curtains of the performers and the people that make the Moisture Festival
1: happen. You get a little little bit of a look at their journey to getting on stage and a little bit about what they do in their time off stage. So welcome
0: and be sure to check out all the episodes of the Moisture Festival podcast,
1: because there's a lot. There is a lot. And if you aren't familiar with the Moisture Festival, it's a four week festival celebrating variety arts. So that's hula hoopers, magicians, people who bounce on their hands, acrobats pretty much anything you can think of it is the largest
0: festival of its kind in the entire world folks in the entire world it's the largest festival and it features some of the best entertainers and comedians
1: working today the festival happens in the months of March and April and not only do they have world-class variety acts but they have a burlesque venue that runs for one week only and get your tickets for that early because that always sells out.
0: Actually, 95% we've crunched the data, Louie. 95% of the shows sell out. So if you're listening to this in the months of March, and April, be sure to go to moisturefestival.org and get your tickets today.
1: Yes. Especially if your bucket list item is to see the opening show, get them now. Absolutely. On this episode of the Moisture Festival podcast, we
0: triangulate locations and welcome in the aerialist Vivian Tam.
1: We learn about all the different kinds of aerial there are, as well as doing horror in an aerial form.
0: Yeah, we learn about what she looks for when she is uh, going to do an aerial show, what sort of uh, support system that she needs, uh, the process that goes into creating her acts, and all the things that she's done throughout her career. It's a pretty fantastic interview. Let's get to Vivian Tam. Today's guest is an aerial performer with more than 20 years performing worldwide. She is a former member of the Aerialistas and founder of Chrysalis Circus. She has performed at Teatro Zanzani and on the open seas for Ada Cruises. We welcome in Vivian Tam. Woo!
2: Thank you.
1: Thanks for joining us. I think you're our first interview from a Starbucks. Yeah. We've done Someone that was manufacturing stuff. We had someone that was quilting, and someone in a car.
0: Excellent. Love to be the first. Thanks for squeezing us in between your triple shot venti latte and,
1: <laughs> uh, and the next triple shot venti
0: and a cake pop. I think is that.
2: <laughs> That's for after the interview. <laughs> <laughs>
0: okay.
1: <laughs> the cake pop, so the treat.
0: You, uh, you have pretty much done it all based off of uh, our research. Can you tell us exactly what you do for the people because like you have when we're looking you up there's like a million things that you do so i'm curious on how you explain (laughs) it to other people
2: yeah well primarily i i dangle from the air i'm an aerialist so that is primarily what i do um and within that there there is like there there are a ton of things that's happening so for example uh, currently, I am helping out with costume design for Sanka's upcoming show, their fundraising gala. So that's happening. Yeah. And then I also run my own little production company. We focus a lot on community access, um, but I do work with local artists. And, um, and that also entails a lot of the production side of things fabricating costumes, plots, writing the show, um, choreographing, directing, all of that.
1: Okay, so this isn't what you do, but how'd you get into designing costumes?
2: Oh, uh, that came as a result of just having to have a costume. <laughs> so a lot of that I actually learned from my time with the aerialists, Um, especially back then, you know, we are, we are trying to make all ends meet, we have limited budget, we are not going to go on stage in our civilian attire, absolutely not, so you just got to you gotta make do and so i i learned a lot from them actually working with marie and how to just create costumes and create a whole package show and number from head to toe
1: so when you create a costume do you like sketch it out or is it in your brain or how's like
2: yeah i i do a lot of sketches they're terrible sketches um but that is what i do i sketch it out and it has to be on pencil and paper i can't do the digital thing yet i'm an awful tree killer um and shower walls i have shower markers i draw on my shower walls like a kid
1: <laughs> Wait, i didn't know shower markers existed because yeah.
2: Well, yeah yeah in the kid aisle you had to go in the kid toys <laughs> yeah so that happens
1: i always have ideas in the shower and then i have nowhere to like i'm yelling at my phone to like record a stupid idea
2: yeah no that is that is what i do pencil paper napkins whatever is around me i do love to doodle um so i'm still that's still new for me in terms of working outside of designing for myself and designing for other people um Mm. so it's still new for me and i i'm loving it and i'm loving all the opportunities i can do to get to kind of explore more and to be challenged more you know it is one thing to Designed for yourself, your body, your sense of movement and storytelling. It's a whole nother thing to costume for somebody else who is very, very different and unique human.
1: So you're like, oh, this person is more, I don't know, arm or leg. So I got they have to have more motion in the arm and leg in the costume, or is it just...
2: Yeah. And what feels good on them, what makes them feel confident on stage. Um, that is a big thing because you, you don't want to put someone in something they don't want to wear. You know, I know how that feels personally. Right. We just we want to look and feel our best when we when we perform. So it's the same thing. And I don't want to put someone in that position. Um, so I do love having that kind of two way straightened conversation a bit. Um And I also really love the challenges of working within budgets and limited resources. That is really fun for me and really propels me forward.
0: I, uh, my, my brother is a professional ballroom dancer and the amount of costumes that he has is like completely ridiculous. And as I'm going through like your Instagram and Facebook, I'm like, there's somebody that might have more costumes than uh, my brother does. Do you have to have like a, entire separate house for some of these costumes because it's like every picture you're in something completely different
2: yeah so i for myself personally i i have a second room it's the office but it has everything else too Ah, um you know my my circus equipment mostly is like the whole second room there um i i contract out as a freelance artist with multiple different companies in seattle so awesome. These production companies are the ones that own these costumes and dress me. So I do not own many of the costumes that you do see online.
0: Gotcha. Um,
2: yeah. So it's a mix and match how I work. I, I work for different companies. i have my own. I'm a freelancer. I'm just, yeah.
1: Yeah. Are, are those costumes made for you by the, the production company or are they like, you're like, oh, you fit in this, hop in it?
2: Yeah, often they have their own collection, and they just pop in people, and you and you just do the best. I happen to have a very very short torso, so most costumes have this extra fabric roll on me, and we just we just do our best to to keep <laughs> me moving, and nobody will ever see.
0: <laughs> now, when I think when I worked with you for the first time was probably fifteen or sixteen years ago, so. You were sort yeah. of doing aerial before it got like this huge explosion of popularity. Can yeah. you tell us like, how you got into it and what that was like uh, coming into it when it wasn't as readily accessible?
2: Right. That's, that's a great question because it's something very special to me. I do realize that um, part of how I'm able to work now um, and the style that I'm able to work is because I started in kind of the wild, wild west days of ariel um i am very happy to see the just the universal access to it now it has really entered in the, in the you know fitness arena for example wellness arena so there is access to things like ariel yoga which is you know kind of goes side by side with circus arts um but so
1: very ariel yeah. yoga just came up on a podcast like our last one <laughs> It yeah. existed
2: yeah, it's a thing, and it's great. You know, that gets people moving in different ways and being upside down. I support that. So, um, yeah, the, yeah, the back to the Wild old West days, Matt. Um, man, I think I remember the event that we worked, too, because there's a funny story <laughs> with that one oh, involving yeah. a missing costume piece, and it was critical. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, okay, so what was the <laughs>
0: <laughs> how you found places spaces to to you know practice and perform and how how you cultivated what you do
2: i was really much guided through by a lot of the people who really did start it you know we have you know Laura Paxson, director of mary lisa's have kathy sutherland you know co-founder of moisture festival so all these like people are hoping we're all still kind of creating it but i came in as their students I suppose mm. and' I'm, I'm learning from them how it's going and we're all still trying to develop something we don't even know what it is yet we, we I don't think any of us saw what it's going to be now um, so we, we're creating from scratch together um there are no real back then you couldn't just go to a place and you know train and practice and say hey you know I'm a traveling artist can I you know use your gym to train a little bit we really had to create our own spaces. As a result, uh, there's like aerial rig from really interesting locations um, because we couldn't just sign up for, you know, like, hey, I want to go train from, you know, at a certain time at the school, yada, yada, yada. That did not exist back then. So um, in a way, it, it kind of forged a certain sense of entrepreneurship early. That, you know, you really had to be on top of things for yourself. Otherwise, it just wasn't going to happen. You know, there there weren't corporate production companies yet in our area where in order to book an event, you, to, you know, you, you send in an application, your CV to, you know, your resume to a production company, and then they can book you. It wasn't really happening yet. We were the ones out there as performers also marketing ourselves, creating our own networks and contacts, um, and just trying to understand how to even create, an industry which we didn't know we were even doing at least i didn't i was I was baby so i didn't know
1: Yeah. so back then when you're starting to because it was kind of wild like places i guess probably didn't have formal rigging points you come in would you be coming in like were you on some shady rigs or
2: yeah well so that was one thing we did take very seriously now some of the methods we got there have been a little more circus arts <laughs> <laughs> However, we do take a lot of pride as professionals to make sure everything is safe. So often things are overly engineered, so to speak, because, you know, especially we're coming from, well, we're not really sure. We're just going to overdo it. Um, yeah. So I, yeah, we definitely do have, even 15 years ago, for sure, we have theater riggers. We, you know, we worked a lot with Dante, um, who rigged much of her, many of her points safely, professionally. Now, so, that's do you have
0: you, you hire out somebody to come in and to rig up your equipment where whatever venue it is.
2: Yes, wow, yes. yeah. <laughs> is that
1: something you, you in a pinch, could you do it yourself? Like, are you certified as a rigger? Is that a thing?
2: I, I definitely am not. That's a whole nother, whole nother thing. Um, I think we, as professional areas, we have the basic understanding of what is safe and what is safe in terms of load limits um, and structures uh, you know we can quickly look at something and pretty much assess for a client for, for example that's not something we can rig from if it's something you know where we're like okay that there's a possibility maybe if we go up into the ceiling we talk to the building managers talk to structural engineer and talk to rigor so there's a whole thing that happens um, but yeah for example i've had potential clients where they're looking at you know like, oh well, there's a there's this mystery eye bolt up there and we've hung like um like a, a seat, one of those hammock seats in there. I'm like, well Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm not gonna just trust on that, you know. It could be totally fine, but we're gonna have someone take a look
0: at it.
1: I mean like, how it will many, definitely how
0: many, how many events they're like do you have to walk away from because they don't have the proper sort of uh structure to do what you do. Is, there, is that ever like, you know what? I just can't do it. I don't trust that we can make that work. Or is that?
2: It, uh, it all depends on the, end, on the budget, right? So if, if the budget affords for a rigger to come in and install something, then it all works out for yeah. us. Um, I happen to have two portable aerial rig systems. So in the case that venues cannot accommodate accommodate for it, I have an aerial lollipop, which is a tree fanny base and a pole with a, with a hoop on top. So, that you just need flat level ground. You need about gotcha. 13 feet ceiling. Clearance. It's actually quite, you know, the height we can change so we can go lower than 13 feet. I like, I just like a little airspace. Yeah. And, and a bit of an airhead. And then <laughs> um, I also have a quad uh, freestanding aerial rig where you could do aerial silks and things like that because it goes a little higher. It's up in, you know, 21 to 28 feet, I believe, that you can do. It just and requires
1: freestanding.
2: Yeah, it's freestanding. So that gets installed, again, on any level ground. Um, so the one that looks there are like options.
1: A, that's the one that looks like a narrow, old-school swing set, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay.
2: Yeah, that is exactly that. Um, that one just does require a larger footprint because of the height of it and how it's supported. So it depends on the client's needs and what they, what they need for their shows and entertainment.
0: Do you ever have like so this has happened to me and I know it's happened to Louie where it's like, you know, you're set up for your show and your stuff is out there and there's people around and people messing with your stuff. Do you ever have that happen where you yeah. have a freestanding set at like a corporate event and then all of a sudden some drunk dude is like trying to like, you know, Tarzan or oh,
1: something? N- load his nose on your silks.
2: Yeah, yeah yeah and and that is like a total like no go right we don't we do not want no, that one worst. it's their it's, it's their safety, you know, I definitely don't want anybody getting hurt falling getting hurt it's It's really primarily for their safety, I understand my own limits um but also it's just understanding personal boundaries and respect. <laughs> I think that's also a really important thing, um but yeah, so it does happen. Um, I often am not all out alone. There we have somebody else with, you know, with any of the performers. If I'm at an event, usually there's somebody with one of the performers. If it's me, there's somebody with me that can help mitigate for those situations. Yeah. That is definitely something we do try to prevent and avoid as much as possible.
0: Now with that freestanding that freestanding apparatus i'm assuming that breaks down and fits in your office now Fits in your backpack Fits fits yeah. in the other starbucks yeah. that you work at
2: yeah.
0: <laughs> but I, one of the other props that i saw you working i saw you working on a lot but one of the ones that stood out to me as sort of a storage issue was there was like a giant hanger is is that <gasps> Is that yours or is that was that a production company? Maybe, maybe, yeah, I would imagine that's maybe the production company now that I'm saying that out loud.
2: No, that but. that is my personal coat hanger. Oh, it is. So, <laughs> um, that I'm like, how far did you dig in to find that? Is that um, what you
0: hang all the costumes on? This, but does that, oh, does right. that Wouldn't, <laughs> or
2: the, that one is probably my heaviest piece of equipment. It is a solid steel giant coat hanger. Um, and that one was um, made for me by Jeff Tretheway, former partner, former romantic partner of mine, even. Um, and so he he welded, made that. We went through a couple processes with rebar at first to kind of figure out the right size for me. Um, and that one was made because back then I had this idea, as we have ideas. I thought it was genius. <laughs> As a kid, I've always, um, if I were at clothing stores, my mom would leave me in clothing stores because I would hang in coats while they were on the coat racks. <laughs> um, and I thought it was hilarious as a kid. Um, so as an adult, I'm like, oh, let's do that again, but a bigger scale version. Um, so I had always intended for a giant coat to be made on that. And it was made more, I wanted to develop more of a clown act and less of an aerial technical number and more of a character. Clown piece. Um, and then it kind of morphed into different things. Um, I performed it at one of Teatro Zazzani's late night cabarets. Um, and, you know, just kind of remorphed it so it can get used while I developed the full act in its entirety. I never got around to it. It's still there. Yeah, if anybody else wants to do it and make a really great piece of it, I'm fine with that too.
0: Does that hanger break down? Because I just envision like you having this giant hanger on top of your car, like a mattress, like you're holding it as you drive to the gig, <laughs> like with one arm out the window.
2: <laughs> no, it, it does not break down. Thankfully, it does fit in one angle in the back seat. have kind of like tilted up, I'm really good at jamming things into the bottom right back seat corner. That's where a lot of things fit. And then you angle it toward the windows and just, you know, you cross your fingers. Everything's going to be fine.
1: Whenever you get a new car, do you take the uh, giant coat hanger to the dealership to see if it fit.
2: Oh my gosh. Well, my new cars involve a 2001 and 2003 Honda. So I don't think new cars. In the
0: <laughs> You got to build some <laughs> wheels and like, just pull it as a trailer.
1: Just right? for fun I I like if I was bored on a Tuesday I'd just take it to a dealership.
2: <laughs> like, oh my gosh. Need, you know I, I need a new to...
1: Subaru but
2: I always thought it'd be funny for like a clothing store grand opening or something. Boom. <laughs>
0: yeah. And you and you do it like a ton of different stuff which was cool, you know. I don't know if aerial artists sp- stick to a specific thing but it looks like you you know you're doing rope. I saw something where you were doing like it looked like sort of a a shell of a harp. Um, you were doing something with a red tricycle. Um, so like how these two questions, like how many different things do you do aerial on? And then two, uh, there's three questions. That one second, uh, (laughs) how long does it take you to, to sort of start with the idea and then sort of figure out how to rig it and then figure out the moves that you can do and then put a routine together and then three, how fast do you scrap some of these ideas?
2: Oh man, Matt, those are great questions, and that's a lot I'm probably going to have to ask you again right. and again. Okay, so uh, yeah, like the first okay. one, um, how many? Um, well, I couldn't I couldn't count them now. Been, there's not so many in existence anyway, so but it is more than the typical, you know, an in, in area I think mostly the the basic part you've got yourselves, the rope, trappies, lira. All right. Um, and when I first started, I was very much, I specialize in aerial silks. So that's all I do. Um, as it turns out, I mean, that was great. I'm glad I did that. But as it turns out, I get rather bored quickly too. And I, I like to play. Um, and it turns out when you can like play on other things, it just, it opens the whole world more and, and you, I just feel way more creative and I could play in different roles. I really love the acting component of performing and that allows me to play in a different characters and different roles. Um, you saw The Heart. That is actually a creation by Tanya Bruneau, another Seattle aerialist. Um, and she created that one for The Land of the Sweets for last last Nutcracker Show. That's been kind of like a holiday tradition in Seattle. Um, and that's opening soon on December 1st. So, yeah, that's Tanya's creation there. Um, and then you see my, my coat hanger. The tricycle was just recently created for a show in Portland. Um, it was a Halloween show, and they, they asked me to play the character from the Saw movies, Billy the Puppet. And in the movie, the puppet rolls out on the tricycle.
0: Mm. So
2: I just thought, hey, let's roll out on a tricycle. Um, Kids, if you're listening, that is not something you should do.
0: <laughs> Don't ride a tricycle.
2: <laughs> do not put a tricycle in the air. <laughs> yeah. Just play it. Because that tricycle has been reworked. The, the bottom of it was rewelded, welded So the one more structurally sound. Um, this was not built for aerial. And in the in the show, a lot of my tricks and things that I did on it were kind of faked where I held much of my body weight on my own. I didn't actually rely on the tricycle to support me, knowing that this was not designed for aerial, this is more of a prop. So that is a, a big note to know about that apparatus. Design for, it's
1: designed for toddlers, not aerial.
2: Exactly, yes, <laughs> Yeah. So I don't, I, I'm like, oh, please don't, you know, just grab any tricycle and put it in there and start using it like a trapeze.
1: So we've kind of skipped over something that's the first thing in my notes. Um, how did you get into aerial? Like, did you just like walk down the street and you're like, hey, I should do aerial?
2: So um, people were performing aerial at a nightclub in L.A. Um, you know, they're doing nightclub aerial work. And so I called them up and said, hey, can you teach me? They had classes once a week. This is in Hollywood. Um, and at the time, the Hollywood Aerial Arts was running at a, the Vanguard, I think, either on, on Sunset or on Hollywood there. Um, so... Big nightclub over there, but during the day it was this uh circus space. Actually, they were touring artists on break from contract that was train trained at a low flying trapeze rig that they would even set up and tear down by six o'clock to turn over for uh clubs uh for nightclubs So it was a really interesting kind of Wild Wild West days of circus arts. I think you know we're all just kind of finding space and figuring how to do things. So that's where I started. It was like. It was one class a week, recreational. Um, I loved it so much. Oh, my goodness. Because I had always been a huge fan of the circus. Funny enough, Ariel was the last thing I wanted to do in the circus. Um, I, in that, As a kid, I had wanted to go to circus school in San Francisco and become a contortionist, hand-balancing contortionist, which to this day is still my favorite thing to watch in the circus. I just happened to run into Ariel, recreationally, um, and they kept going.
1: So the circus school was on your radar as a kid?
2: Yeah, 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 yeah. And I had drawn and designed a whole circus in high school. My first website that I had coded with HTML1 was about the circus. (laughs) Yeah, I kind of failed calculus for that reason.
1: (laughs) So did you have a background in like coding, or...?
2: Uh, well, I just grew up really nerdy. Uh, uh, <laughs> I grew up very, very nerdy. Uh, my dad, dad taught me programming, gave me access to that early on as a kid. Um, yeah. But, anyway.
0: Did you ever <laughs> experiment with contortion ever or did try and implement yeah. that art form yes. into your aerial?
2: So um, as a kid, all I did is copy everybody and I didn't take classes and... I didn't have a dance background or gymnastics, but what we did have um, in my family was free access to all the arts and, and cultural movies you can watch. So my, my parents would take me to the library and we'd check out videos from Cirque du Soleil, VHS tapes So Cirque du Soleil. We'd have PBS on all the time. We also had access to the Chinese um, television stations, which would have Circus Arts broadcasting on that. So some of the international stations um, had Circus Arts, a little bit more Really available so that i am thankful okay. for and then me and my three sisters we would just copy we that's what we did we mimics all the different things every poll i was seeing chinese poll as a kid you know in the playground just copying behaviors you know uh, juggling school. juggling was just copying um so kind of did all that as a kid and yeah so i would study in a back then in my straddle trying to be a contortionist thinking i was so cool
0: i mean that is pretty cool I mean, <laughs> and then do you do any of that in your area like did that sort of sort of messing around as a kid come into play as an adult doing aerial like did some of those skills come into hand come in handy
2: i think that kind of uh joy and play i think i attack a lot of my aerial with joy and play first um that, ha- that has translated the most, I think, in terms of being able to create quickly and dive into different roles and characters in different moods, too, um, from comedy and drama and all that. Um, it's, I think that has really lent itself to my work now. less, Not really the physicality, because I am not a contortionist, <laughs> for sure. Um, but, yeah, yeah, it's the creativity part, I think.
1: And then how did you end up in Seattle?
2: Oh, great. Great question. Well, there was a boy that that was in my life, and he's no longer in my life, but I've been a huge part of so much of who I am. Yes. So that's how I ended up in Seattle. Timing-wise, um, I think I had been doing aerial for about eight months by that time in L.A. I just started for about eight months, and um, my work allowed me to work in L.A., a couple of weeks and I was living part-time LA and Seattle so I was traveling a bit and I started taking private lessons every time I was in LA so um for the first year that I lived in Seattle I was training in LA and privately and I think that's what, also what helped me kind of accelerate um,
0: mm-hmm. in my aerial training. Now I like to go back to one of my three questions that was not answered and that is <laughs> When you're coming up with something for an aerial act, an aerial performance, and you're using a object that maybe you haven't seen anybody else use, what are the sort of steps that you're are going through your mind to make sure that it's safe, that it's make sure it's feasible in the routine that you could even do moves on it? Um, What are those, what are those things? And how, what, how long does that sort of take?
2: yeah okay so yeah because i had to do this very recently with the with a tricycle and a very a character that i normally would not do one the prompt was this horror movie which um i still didn't watch because i can't do horror so my r d including asking friends who had seen it <laughs> Google Google image searches and like with my hands across my eyes. I'm not a horror person, but here I am. I'm like, okay, you're gonna be this character. And then I had to ask the producers, how much how much creative license do I have? <laughs> I'm like, you can do what you want. I'm like, great. So I, I I camped it out. We made it a burlesque strip number. Um, and I performed this number instead of a horror thing. Um made a campy to Bill Coleman from uh, Cabaret, the musical. Um, because anyway, Billy the Puppets in a tuxedo suit and on this red tricycle. So often, it's, it's once I get the mood, the look and feel of how I want to do it, that tells me a lot about my movements now. OK, so I saw that. Now I'm like, oh, you know what, this character really is more about the, the just like, you know, we're going to do the dancing cabaret dance kind of thing. That's going to start leading up to it. Um, uh, some of the play with, with I had dead props on side that I see as my, my victims. Um, and so I have like these images. I often think about the visual images that I want people to see on stage. Um, sometimes I'm like, okay, if a photograph is captured in that one moment, what would you want to see? I often think about the staging that, in those terms too, and designing my moves that way. And then I go and see, okay, what, when I put this in there, what is actually possible? What's safe? How much time do I have in creation? That is also a thing when you have to make sure your schedule, your management, your time management is also, you know, there, you only have limited time. You're also preparing for other shows too. And you got to know where your equipment is at all times, how your body's doing for different, for different shows. Um, So this act with straps, aerial straps, which is a very, very difficult apparatus. Um, So I know where my skill sets are, what's actually possible, and working with those. You know, so for the first month, I had two months to create this number. Um, So first month is conditioning, just raw conditioning on physicality training. And then I know what's capable for me in my body on the tricycle. And then start working with that instead of trying to go from – the bottom up and say, like, I want to develop my body to do this. It's like, this is all I can do. Okay, let's go back and see what's possible. Yeah, um, yeah and then as I'm playing with it, be like, okay, that bottom piece is going to fall off and I'm going to die. So can we <laughs> fix that? <laughs> and it, and it's a lot of trial and error. You know, often it's like, oh, that's not going to work. And I'll, I think the biggest piece of it is knowing when to be at peace with saying, that's good. That's fine. You yeah. know, we, we want to always push more. We want to make more. We can't get it. And you're just gonna to have to be okay with that.
0: <laughs> How many tricycles did you go through to find the Unbe- right tricycle?
2: Unbelievably. Only one. Can oh, you believe nice. that? Only one. Wow. And it's still with me. And I love it. And it sparkled now. It's it's so sparkly. So
1: what percentage of the shows you do are pre-existing acts you already have versus you're creating acts for
2: uh it is really a grab bag now at this point um in my career and i'm so happy and thankful to be able to say that i have a grab bag of acts and i'm constantly creating new things and then even within the grab bag of acts we're still updating i'm so i say where because you know i feel like we're all We're all doing the same thing here. We are always still updating and finding different things. Oh, if I wink at the person at this time, that's cooler. Like even little things like that. Um, Yeah. Yeah.
1: It's the nothing is ever finished mindset.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And I think accepting that is a big, big thing to accomplish. Being able to accept it's never going to be finished. Even these grab bag numbers are never finished and they're never perfect, but that's okay.
1: And the nice thing is you have a tricycle act in your back pocket. So someone's Boom. like, we're doing a, uh, you're doing the we're Schwinn uh, corporate event. Do- we're doing radio flyer just ride. called you.
2: Exactly. Yes. So if you're listening,
1: <laughs> <laughs> radio flyer, corporate event planner.
0: Well, what I admire about sort of what you do in, 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 sort of aerial stuff in general is that, you know, Louie and I, we are our own show. So we are oftentimes brought in by ourselves. We work by ourselves. We perform by ourselves. And you seem to be part of ensemble shows all the time or different sort of, you know, formats, maybe not a circus show or a variety show. Maybe it's an opera or a musical or a ballet but it's constantly giving you sort of a opportunity to create and come up with new ideas that fit into that existing form or the existing show that you're going to be a part of. Um, I don't know. I know. It's not a question. I'm just envious of that because we don't oh. get that at all really ever.
2: Oh, you know, yeah. And, yeah, no, I love it. I love working within theater, really, really love working within ensembles. I mean, I'm just constantly... I'm I'm like the biggest fan girl of everybody here. I'm just sitting there, you know, just doing my own little exercises, and the whole time, like these people are amazing, oh, yeah. and it's just it's just so cool to be working working with people with different skill sets, different talents, different skill sets, and when you see people put their heart into their work, it just makes you work harder. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'm always learning. I'm always like watching and learning, you know uh dancers I'm like what are they doing actors what are they doing um just just constant yeah I'm a big copycat what's a
0: show that what's a show that you were in that you were like I got no business even being in the show this is crazy like
2: like every show oh my gosh every show and it's a painful process um I'm still not wanting to set that that's just that's just how it's gonna be because it's so painful (laughs) It's it is literally every single show I go through. I'm with everybody there, and I'm going, why, what, how, how am I here? You know, oh gosh, I, I'm on a tricycle. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Everyone else is a horror fan. I, I can't even watch it.
2: And there, yeah, no, it you know, and I think it's just, it's just really cool when you step back. You know, I feel like that because I'm now in a world where I'm surrounded by really amazing magical people and it's yeah. and it really is just unbel- unbelievable
0: so you said that you're not a fan of horror, but I don't know if this if I'm correct on this, but aren't you in a movie it's a horror movie
2: you found that too wow yeah you you do your research man research do so this here.
0: but this a recent movie right isn't it a this
2: is a movie this was a short film that um had well, made uh i I was just the actor in it um the Far in the
1: in, in the two shorts I saw, you, you're you both you're credited as Vivian in both of them.
2: Oh, wait, which shorts are we talking about? <laughs> oh, oh, no, so, how far did you go?
1: <laughs> I saw two, which were Needing Flesh and yes. Directing Rage.
2: Okay, those are the 48 hour films. Yes, yes. And one the of them was for the four. Three, three Houses Down. Okay, and that was the one I was talking about oh, initially. Those,
0: all three of those are horror films?
2: Two of those are wait three could be all of them <laughs> <laughs> apparently i just love to be a scary person <laughs> um <laughs> okay okay so maybe i don't watch for okay.
0: <laughs> <don't immolated>. <laughs> it i don't watch it
2: i just like to be horrible characters um Yeah, no, actually, I do. One of my favorite characters to play in terms of movement are zombies, Um, and like anything that's like low and creepy on the floor, where I could growl, especially if I could do a lot of growling and drooling. I love that stuff. It's so fun for me. It was (laughs) like, yeah, those roles I love.
0: Well, I saw one where you were on on fire. Is that which one was that?
2: That was stunt school.
0: Oh, that's that's, that's different. (laughs) That's different the one. movies <laughs> that that wasn't part of the movie where I saw you were on fire.
2: No, no, no. I will, I have not been lit on set yet. If you're listening, I would love to be lit on fire. Um, no, I. <laughs> no, that was tough. That's I hope the cool.
1: dude I... at the Starbucks next to you, <laughs> table next to the Starbucks. I
2: know. I'm really sorry, Starbucks, but I'm totally fine and normal. Um. <laughs> Yeah, stunt school. That was my favorite thing about stunt school the fire. I, I, oh man. And I was one of the last ones of the day to do the burn. And I remember I was just sitting there, just like watching and taking notes. I'm like, how did they move the air under the coat? I'm like, I want the best burn. <laughs> I want to burn. Did you get hurt at all? I feel like no, 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 no. The, they were so good. I think they, you know, this is beginner 101, yeah, right? Sure. That they're teaching us. And these professionals are amazing, and they go through all the precautions. We have layers and yeah. layers of protection. We're all training as well to be each other's fire safeties. And so you have a whole team of people putting out the fire, checking on your safety. and Yeah, I felt very safe at all times, at all times.
1: Do you have stunt schools yes. doing loans?
2: Yeah. yeah, so the International Stunt School is here in Seattle. Um, and you do have students come over from all over the world um to do an intense course over the month on um the the basics of, of yes things you would do in for stunts for film set like was, this is primarily for television and movies um so a lot of people that come in already have a stage fighting background or the martial artists or movement gymnasts parkour artists um a lot of people already have their own grasp, you know their skill sets um yeah. This happened to be a gift. It was a, a very lovely gift um, because I had always, you know, I'd always tell them that when I was with, if I were to do this all over again, I might have actually gone into stunts because I really love, as you saw in my short films, I love playing creepy characters and moving. I really just love moving more than anything else and, and kind of playing and acting. And I I think stunts is... I think so I'm like, oh man, if I were to do this all over again, I'm not doing it now, but uh, yeah, it would be stunts.
1: On the stunt school syllabus, and it looks like stairfalls are part of the course.
2: Yeah, and I missed it because I got COVID that week. Man. I know. That was the other thing I was really excited about. I wanted to go down the stairs. Um, I Yeah, I am not a fighter. I'm so bad at the whole fighting thing um is it too so late the, for
0: you to become a stunt person is that
2: well it's like a whole nother career that you got to focus on and i just love my circus stuff you know and i've got time and energy for that um the last thing i want to do is get hurt doing something else and i can't do my circus work Maybe that when, i
0: feel like when your body can't do aerial anymore maybe you can go into stunt work
2: i uh, just yeah yeah maybe. i know the like, relaxing oh. world
0: of stunts yeah
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> your body is so worn down you know, my retirement, my spa
2: retirement there falls Yeah, got <laughs> okay, punches. So yeah.
0: Now I work on a lot of ships, and as, as a juggler, and constantly people are asking me, "How do you do that on a rocking ship?" I and and then I'm like, "Well, it's not too hard." But then I'm I'm thinking, I'm seeing that you're performing on cruise ships, and I'm like, "How do? How would you even do aerial on a cruise ship? That's crazy." Yeah,
2: so I, well, I'm sure you got that question a lot. Yeah, so, well, you know, really, for me as a soloist on the vertical clap like so, I'm a plumb line. Like I'm, I'm the weight on mm. <laughs> the end of this thing, and and my choreo is designed where it's it's going to be mostly fine. We did take out skills like I do my my splits balance because of the way I do it. Um, there are other ways you can do it, but the way I like to do this one trick particular, we did cut it out for that reason for the sway of the, the boat. Um, yeah. Uh, there are certain apparatuses. Like I was doing a duo with my partner on the cruise ship on this giant chandelier. It's this heavy, solid steel apparatus. Really, really heavy. And when the boat's rocking, <laughs> that pendulum is oh, yeah. a little bonkers. So, and the way our theater was designed, the winch point was designed on these four tables. So it had quite a bit of movement with the ship. So it wasn't a fixed point. Uh, so on rough sea days, um, those numbers would be cut.
0: Gotcha. Mm-hmm. And then so... you, were you were part of a production show, I'm assuming, or was it just? Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Part of the show. So sometimes they would put me out, you know, and say, Vivian, your job is to pop out of the elephant and do a 20 oh. second dance out. And so you, you, you know, you made some appearance. Yeah. 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 So we don't need to re block the bow. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know what place needs an elephant you can appear at? The Moisture what? Festival.
2: Oh, Boom. okay. Boom! <laughs> Look
1: at we sh- that. We
2: should bring a Moisture Festival elephant.
1: <laughs> we should try and get the elephant that was at the old um, what's that place um, that private club that used to have the elephant in it.
2: Uh, um, well, it's there's one at the ruins.
1: The ruins. That's what I'm thinking of.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's we my should... friend backstage. I like to touch his <laughs> – touch his face.
1: <laughs> we should, we <laughs> should plot to steal that elephant and bring it to the festival. Wait, does that place not exist
0: anymore? The ruins? <laughs> it it no, it's got sold. Oh, okay.
1: So that, that lady who used to own it doesn't own it anymore. Gotcha. Yeah. So
0: tell us how you got involved in the moisture festival. The moisture Festival, yeah, the Ariel
2: my My girls, my sisters, for sure. It was the Ariel Um, And we had been doing our cupcake number um, and that's our, that's six girls on two, a uh, two each on the lyrics, so three duos, man, math. <laughs> 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 yeah. So that's, that's initially what we performed. And then every year we we also did other numbers. I, I believe one year I did a duo silks number, yeah. uh, with Elizabeth Rose. And then, uh, so that's how I first got in. And then I started doing my own solo numbers as well, separate from the area leases.
0: You've been there. How many? I mean, I feel like you've been there a long time.
2: Yeah, you know what? I can't remember. I should look it up. I've been there for a few years. Definitely for a few years. I have their swag. I love the swag. I have a little. I have a memory box um, at home, and it's filled with my early circus memories because i always thought you know this should not have been my life and now it is so i i that that box means so much to me. there are lots of moisture festival lanyards in there it's a little bad
0: <laughs> i thought you were going to have your own moisture memory box <laughs> <It's> just... <laughs>
2: there is a newspaper clipping from the seattle times i think with uh, i think kathy sutherland and kari anderson rehearsing the cupcakes number
1: oh that's cool Nice. Yeah, my first year at the Moisture Festival. So Kathy was my daughter when she was little, gymnastic coach. So oh, yes. So my first year there, like I didn't really know anyone. My daughter's like, "Miss Kathy." I'm like, "You're 4. How do you know people?"
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Kathy you, has uh oh, taught me so much.
1: Do
0: you do something every Moisture Festival you do you bring in a new piece, right? I
2: try to personally for me. Yes. I do try to because that is I that audience. Yeah, that what your family What's your Pencil family audience is is the best. And I feel like, you know, if I'm not growing with them, I'm really just just throwing this away. You know. So if if I were to do the same number too, it'd be something I'm working on and making it really, really good and just continuously making. But I feel like for me as a performer where I'm at right now is still just like just keep developing different things and trying things out. Um
1: yeah. We don't want to keep that Starbucks table all day. We want to let them turn it. Uh yeah, you're gonna be one of those I'm, people who just like
2: I'm a, like sets I'm a up paying office. customer.
0: <laughs> she does. She, look at that. <laughs> if people want to find you, they can find you at Vivian-Tam.com.
2: Yes. Um my Instagram is much more current and active. And so that is at the Viv Show. You can follow me there. Um I've got two shows coming up for fall winter season. So the first one opening up December 1st at the Triple Door, the Land of the Seats for Left Nutcracker* and Bohemia opening January 18th also at the Triple Door. are on sale.
0: Is Chrysalis Circus still something that is active for you?
2: It is a side company project of mine, and I do have a couple projects coming up already for some of my folks. Yes.
0: So check that out. I think it's chrysaliscircus.com. Is that
2: it? .com. Yep. yep. Awesome.
0: All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us. This was awesome. <laughs>
2: Thank
0: you. Thank you for listening to Moisture Festival podcast and stay moist.